My name is Candace Moore. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you guys so much for allowing me to come and spend the weekend with you. I appreciate it. I have um, not been here since I was nine years sober when I uh, was a Saturday night speaker and you guys were at a different place. And so it's absolutely brilliant and so thoughtful of you to invite me back. It took you a long time, but nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, I'm here now. And so uh, I want to thank the committee. It takes so much work for us to just be able to come and sit and enjoy meetings and workshops. So I, I want to first thank the committee, David, Stephen, um, Brian, everyone who uh, invited me here and, and who has put this on for us. My host, Raul, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate it. And I also want to uh, send a special thank you to the other speakers. Um, I know my friend Carlos, I've known him and I know his sponsor David for a long time and uh, to the people who did the workshops. I was in a comedy one today that just like rocked. So I just wanna, I just wanna give a, a hand to everyone. You know what's amazing is we have all these choices. It's like, ooh, which should I, I'm gonna go a little bit to this workshop, I'm gonna grieve, but then I'm gonna go heal and like in comedy, you know what I mean? It was just like beautiful. And so, um, and welcome to our new friends. Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. Man, oh man, that's heavy, isn't it? You're talking like five days, nine days, 14 days. That's a long time. That's serious business. You get over one day, that's serious business, right? Because as the person who's sitting in this room not telling anyone right now how long 24 hours is, as someone when the obsession is on them how long 24 hours is, and you start putting five days together, that is to be celebrated. That is to be, and I'm so grateful that we have created this environment this weekend where it is safe. And if you need to cry, then you need to cry. I had a, a, a sponsee who was like, I don't want to cry in the meeting. I'm like, if you can't cry in that meeting, go to another meeting where you feel safe enough to cry. Because I'm going to tell you something, this has been my experience. If I'm not prepared to look bad, I can't stay, right? There is no way that I can come to you with all the behavior. I've had a couple, two, three things, you know what I mean, that I had to work out. <laughs> Ask Raul. He's been taking my inventory since I got here. <laughs> I said, wait a minute. It's the other way around, right? Little cute newcomer, your feisty self. I love you. That's, that's the only shout-out you're going to get, okay? I'm going to get to hogging up the time now, Raul. And so, uh, but, you know, I, I have to be able to sit in a meeting. I have sat in many a meeting and cried because I was holding on for my life. The reality is we get to have a lot of fun this weekend, but this is a deadly disease. And so that's why we get so excited, especially with the countdown, and you start seeing those big numbers. What that means, it's not just 40-plus years. You know what I mean? It is, a, my former sponsor is celebrating 60 years. October 34th is his uh, birthday. And, and so when I look at people who have that amount of time, you understand that not every day has been sunny. 
That's why it's a big deal. People are like, time's not a big deal. It kind of is. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> when it's hurting, I'm an alcoholic. What I do is drink. And so Alcoholics Anonymous, it asks in a vision for you, have you a sufficient substitute? A sufficient substitute. This has depth and weight. I like it when people are funny. I think that's great. But when I'm sitting in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm here to save my life. I need to be able to walk away from here with something that maybe I either didn't know before or I had forgotten that will help me when, that, when those strange mental blank spots come to continue. I have a disease that doesn't want me here. It doesn't want me rocking this obviously fabulous suit, right? <laughs> With the shoes. Thank you, Raul. You have redeemed yourself. Thank you. I'm not even going to point out the earrings because you can see them. And so, uh, no, it wants me alone in a room with a gun in one hand and a drink in the other. But it can't take me away from you when I am in love with you. And alcohol knows that. It can't take me away from you when I am in love with you. So it's going to go about setting up a series of circumstances and events that make it look as if my case is different, that make it look as if I've made too big a deal out of this. And it will really make it look like you don't have my back. Because if I feel someone doesn't have my back, why would I stay? I have to get in the center of Alcoholics Anonymous. The center for me is as an active member for the entire time I've been here. I have committed meetings. I have commitments at each of those meetings. I am not a visitor. This is my home. And so for me to have a job at the meetings I attend, it's just one of the way I make my home inviting to people who are coming over, right? I want you to feel safe. I want to help with the lights being on. It's not everyone else's responsibility to set up the chairs. You know, I remember when I was newly sober and, uh, and I had the coffee commitment. Will you hand me my water? Will you hand me my water? I had the coffee commitment and, thank you, darling. And I, when they gave it to me, I was like, well, I don't drink coffee. And so the person who gave it to me said, that's great. Let me show you how to make it. And so, uh, and then, so you know how we go from disdain to owning it and no one else can make the coffee like you make the coffee, right? <laughs> We're just such a quirky bunch. Uh, my sobriety date is August 16th, 1995. That's my date. That is the only date I've ever had. And what that means is that over the years that I've been here, many things have had to change in order for my date to remain the same. I have had to be willing to surrender behaviors and belief systems that did not support me having continuous sobriety. I have had to be willing to be wrong even when I knew I was right. When I got sober, I was 96 pounds. I'm not 96 today. You know, the thing about that is... I got sober at 28, so I am 51, and I looked older then than I do now. And when I got sober, you know, I was, you know, just growing up, I was always slender, and, and in my 20s, I was always a size 2, yet I always sucked my stomach in, sucking it in. And now that I am 51, I should suck it in, but I choose not to. <laughs> I wanted to breathe, right? 
A lot of times I wear long flowing things. And, uh, and so 96 pounds because a nutritious meal for me would be like a Snickers bar every three or four days, right? I, I drank, I enhanced my drinking with just a couple of things that kept me up for eight, nine days at a time. And uh, I was very alert during that period. When I got sober, I was missing my front tooth. I'll tell you what happened. I shared an opinion and it was not supported. That's what happened. <laughs> but it never stopped me from talking. I was determined to get the message out. When I got sober, I didn't have a strand of hair on my head because um, when I would drink, there were visitors, they were always in my hair and they would kind of wake up, the drunker I got, the more alert and alive and, and busy they got. And, and I'm all for people coming over to the house, but I don't want you to just get unruly. And I remember telling a friend, I said, there's something in my hair. She was visibly alarmed. She leaned back. She asked me, how do you know? I said, because while we were talking, they ran from this side to that side. She never gave me a direction per se. She shared information that I embraced. She said, you know, rubbing alcohol will sterilize anything. Now, she never said, go to the store, purchase a bottle of rubbing alcohol, pour it all over your hair, but I think we all agree it was implied. And uh, so I remember, right, having a bottle of rubbing alcohol, getting my drunk on, they were, they were starting to do their thing. And so, you know what I did? I paused. Okay, I paused. And then I, 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 I thought, let's, let's come together. Let's unity, tradition one, right? So I wanted us to all kind of get on the same accord. And I, I set everybody down and I told them, I said, look, look, I know you're up there. I know you're up there. It's okay. You can stay, but I'm going to sterilize you. And so it was very, it was very fun in the beginning. It was soothing. It was as if I were running on a beach, only not, you know? And then after a while, they began to get aggressive. And so I had to get aggressive. And I remember I took a pair of scissors and I cut off all of my hair. But new friends, half measures avail us nothing. And so I took a shaver and I shaved it all off to the scalp, right? Making my own statement. And I would wear turbans, they were t-shirts, but whatever, I would wear t-shirts <laughs> on my head, and a good day would be a colorful t-shirt with a swirl of color, right? And so that is the condition in which I came to you, and so I know, I know what you're thinking, because I have painted a very vivid picture. You're like, ooh, ball-headed and toothless. Ooh, that's sexy. I know you're thinking it, right? Yeah. So, but... But in reality, maybe not so much. And so uh, the beauty of coming into Alcoholics Anonymous in that condition is that you are then in much less danger of being 13th step. And so, uh, because <laughs> no one wanted what I had, right? Except one. You know who I'm talking about, the diehard, right? They know you have potential. They know at some point it's going to come together and they want bragging rights. I knew her when she didn't have a tooth, you know what I mean? 
And so the thing about that is this. For me to come to you as an adult looking like that, if I look like that, you already know how I'm living. So when I come here, we're talking about tonight things lipstick can't fix. The thing about it, and this is I've had to stay long enough, I've had to continue going through this process long enough to understand that there's a lot of healing to be done. And for me, I heal in stages. I don't just come, do the steps one time, and everything is healed because only a little is revealed. I have to stay here, continue to have sober experiences. I, um, it's a couple of things that happened. Um, I lost my stepmom last year, and, and it devastated my life, and I've talked about it. You know, I have a few friends in this room that I met when I was talking at another conference earlier this year. And so, um, you know, I lost my stepmom, and it just absolutely rocked everything in my life. She was in my corner. She had known me since I, before I was born, actually, because my dad was cheating on my mom with her. And uh, they were 16. And then split up and he went back to my mom and then at some point later on down the years they had gotten together but so she had just always been with me and um, we knew that she was going to pass I just didn't know it was going to be that soon she had cancer and and had I known it was going to be as soon I would not have left and so you know I had to speak in Rhode Island I was talking at a conference and my stepmom would ask that every place I went every place I, I spoke at to bring a rock back. She collected rocks. And so it was about 1,200 people at this conference. I was a Saturday night speaker, and I shared with them, you know, my stepmom is dying. And that she has always been in my corner, and I don't know what my life is going to look like when that happens. I said, but before I leave, you're going to see me looking outside for a rock because I always bring a rock back. That is her request. And I didn't see anyone get up, but I can tell you that after the meeting was over, you know, people who are in line to thank you for your service, they started handing me these rocks. They were like, give, give your stepmom this rock. Tell your stepmom I prayed over this rock. Tell your stepmom Rhode Island loves her. Tell your stepmom she's in my prayer. It was like all these rocks, and so my host was standing there, and I would take the rock, I'd give it to her. Take the rock and give it to her. And so when I left Sunday, as I was leaving to catch my plane, people were literally running up to me, running after me, like, it's a rock, it's from my garden, and the story of the garden, you know what I mean? And so when I, when I, uh, like, I literally had, like, a little satchel of rocks, and so when I flew in that night, I used to talk to my stepmom every day, every day, no matter where I was. And um, I told her, I called her that night, I'd just flown in, and I, I, sh I said, I have a lot of rocks from Rhode Island for you, they want you to know that they love you. And she said, oh, I'm so touched. It's so beautiful. She said, I love you. I said, I love you. And she was dead the next morning. And so what happened, and the reason I share it is because of how everything changed. You think you're prepared, but you really can't be. I was talking to her all that day. I had gone before they removed her body, I drove 70 miles to see her. I knelt. I said a prayer for her safe transition into the unseen. And um, later on that day when I got home, I said, listen, I need you to let me know that you're okay because she didn't want to go. And I said, so I need you to give me a sign that you're okay. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'm breaking protocol. I said, excuse me, God, 
I apologize, I should have checked with you first. Can you give me a sign that my stepmom is okay because she wasn't ready to go and you don't want people to be afraid to meet you, right? I didn't think I put a timeline on this, but apparently I did and it was two weeks. And after two weeks, when I didn't get a sign, I stopped praying. I stopped believing in God and I stopped praying. That was it, it was over, forget about it. And when I am done with something, you best not bring it up. And so people were talking about God, I'm like, that's propaganda, you're sheep, you know what I mean? <laughs> you're aimless, you just need something to hold on to. And, and there's a lot that's happened in my family and I'm like, and if there were God, why would this happen? And why, you know, so that's always gonna come up, why would this happen? And, and so, um, I was a part of a home group for a long time, a very active home group. It's the type of sobriety I like and I prefer, but I did not feel that was my home because when my stepmother passed, that was the last place I wanted to be. And I couldn't overlook that. You know, I was 21 years sober and I had to leave that meeting. It was a great meeting, but it just was no longer a home. And so my sponsor required me to go to that meeting, which meant I had to also get another sponsor. And, and again, because it was, this is what it is, right? And um, so I called someone that I know and love and I've traveled with for years in Alcoholics Anonymous and I shared what had happened. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm leaving this group and, and my sponsor can't sponsor me because I won't go to this one meeting and I need uh, to be able to check in with you until I find a local sponsor. And she said, of course, and she gave me the days I was gonna check in. And, and so we went through that for about maybe two months. And I had told her I didn't believe in God. We had done a conference together. I didn't believe in God. You know, so we already knew, we were all clear that Candace doesn't believe in God. And so two months later, I asked her officially to be my sponsor. And she said, oh, I've considered myself your sponsor since you asked if you could check in. And I said, well, I just need it to be official so that everyone knows that you know you're my sponsor. And the next day, she sent me an email. And the email said, in her meditation, God told her to ask me if I believed in him. And I was reading the email, and I thought, no. Right? We already talked about it. The answer is no. And then further down in the email, it said, God told her to ask me if I didn't believe, would I be willing to believe? Again, that's a no. And so I, I emailed back, you know, no and no. We've chatted about this. And um, so then, so she responds with another email in this same meditation, clearly a not a quiet meditation. Uh, <laughs> God told her that if I didn't believe that she could not sponsor me. This is in the email she sent. When I tell you that my life had been devastated, I can't, you have to understand, for me to change home groups, change sponsors, lose faith, that's huge. That's not, one of those will take someone out, but you have like all three going on and the person that I have trusted, that I've known for years, you send this email to me. The, the other problem with that is that it's contrary to what's in our text. It doesn't say I have to believe in a conventional God, that's crazy. So when I get home, I call her and I said, I don't understand. 
You know that I am devastated. And I started having extreme anxiety attacks the minute I lost my faith because now I am the Alpha and the Omega again. When I don't have a power greater than myself, I become that power. The weight of the world is on my shoulders, and it makes it hard for me to breathe because I'm responsible for you, right? And so I am... Um, you know, I said, I said, what you're saying is just contrary. It doesn't say that. It talks about the bewildered one, the one who has lost, had faith and lost it. It talks in the 11th step that sometimes we are seized by a rebellion so sickening that we simply cannot pray. So this means I'm not the only one that's ever been here. And then I ask her if the purpose of all 12 steps is to bring me into a relationship with a power greater than myself, why would your default response not be Let's go through all 12 steps and see if we can produce a shift. This is why it's hard to find a sponsor. I don't want a sponsor who's sponsoring me from ego. I want you to come from our text, the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, so you're right. You cannot sponsor me. Now I'm still without a sponsor, and so I asked um, a member of my new home group, the Friday Night Women's Stag, 730 in Santa Monica, Someone I've known for years, um, if I could check in with her, I told her what happened. She said, that's not what we do here. I said, oh, I'm clear. I'm clear. I know that that, meaning that situation was not a part of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I checked in with her for a couple of years. We see each other through the week at meetings, and I asked her if she would be my official sponsor, and she said yes. And, and so Claire E. is my sponsor. She's sober 40 year, 35 years. She's very active in Alcoholics Anonymous. And the good thing about that is I've grown into that relationship because I just had a sponsor because I needed a sponsor. You know what I mean? Like it, it, I had been in a long-term relationship with a sponsor, my, spon my former sponsor who's turning 60. So when I left that relationship and got another, it was good, but I wasn't attached. And so with Claire, because I guess she's been there in such a rough time, I've grown into that relationship, and she sponsors me from our text. And that's so important. If you are new or if you are here and just kind of not having made a connection, get a sponsor who has a working knowledge of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because for me to come from where I come from, to be able to stay here, and to be able to weather that storm, I do believe, I do not believe in a conventional God. I call it spirit. I pray to the, the trio, healing, love, and light. That is my higher power, and it works so well for me. We get to have the power of our own understanding here. And it has also changed over the years. It's not the first time I had lost my faith. It happens like every four to five years. And every time it happens, it feels like I'll never believe again. And then it's like, well, you know that there's something there that's undeniable that someone like me would be here without there being some type of guiding force. I'll tell you, though, how I, I came to believe again. So when I was, uh, prior to coming to you, when I was in my cups, um, I, at this point, looked like I had described, and I was an entrepreneur. Uh, <laughs> I was in public relations, and, uh, and because I had lost my hair and my teeth, my stocks had plummeted. So I was, I was hovering around the Skid Row estates at that point, and... Uh, so I met an enterprising young fellow. He was pushing a basket, and uh, we negotiated some terms and agreements, and, and he said, well, we can go to my apartment. Now, far be it from me to be judgmental, but I was a little shocked that he had a basket and an apartment. And so, uh, 
nonetheless, we trudge on, and uh, we get to the apartment. There's no evidence that he lives there. It's all women's things in this apartment, which, you know, who was talking about it? You were talking about it when we get that sense and we don't follow it. It should have told me something's amiss here. But when I'm coming, when I'm under the lash of desperation, I'm going to push it aside, I'm going to overlook, and I'm going to rationalize. So we're there all night. And, uh, and, and even though I was not looking too cute, I had strict terms on when we get what we need to get done. And so that uh, time frame had, ex had expired. And... <laughs> We were there all night getting loaded, and now it's, you know, daybreak, and uh, he's ran out of funds, and I have to go. And so he said, no, I don't want you to go. I said, I have to leave. He said, no, I don't want you to go. And I said, that's kidnapping. Now, I was unaware that that was a trigger word for him. But when I said that, at the time I said it, my hand was on the doorknob. This guy, black guy, about six foot three, picked me up from my neck and threw me across the room. And the next thing I know, he is on me and he is choking the life out of me. And I remember that I started to lose consciousness the first time and then came back the second time, came back. And the third time, when I was about to lose consciousness, I knew that was going to be the last time. Please understand, it's not the first time someone has tried to kill me, but this is the time that defined when I got my faith back, right? Because that third time, people say when you're about to die, your whole life will flash before you. That's not what happened. What happened for me is everything just got very still. And I remember a quiet acceptance. And it was, so this is how it ends. So this is it. Me in a strange place with a strange man doing strange things. I think it would have probably just been sadness, but there was no feeling, it was just acceptance. And when I accepted that this was it, I'm gonna die, all of a sudden this man who had been intent on taking my life was standing across the room. I'm gonna tell you, as it happened then, as it happened when my faith came back, it was that thought, it was that memory that brought my faith back. The power that plucked this guy off of me like a feather is the power I pray to. There is no way that I can explain how that happened. And I'm going to tell you something. When I was able to talk, because it took me a minute to get every, my bearings together, I was talking for my life to get out of there. And so isn't it interesting, in the darkest of times, I forget all the things, all the evidence that there's always been a power there for me. People say a lot of things, you know, some have to die in order for others to live. I, that's crazy. Some are not going to do what they need to do to live. That's the deal. I'm fighting for my life when I'm in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I hit a bottom at nine years sober. And I think that's when, it's when I spoke here. I hit a bottom. And I had been in a relationship. Um, it was the first time I'd ever been in love. I've been in many, many relationships. And someone was always saying, I love you. And because I'm a team player, I would say, I love you too, right? But I was totally lying. Anyway, so this time I actually meant it. And uh, it didn't look like I thought love would look. We fought physically all the time. 
It didn't feel like I thought love would feel. I was always crying. It was just, it was always hurting. It hurt a lot. And my sponsor, Gloria Decker, Gloria was the love of my life. She was the epitome of what an AA sponsor is. She loved our text. She loved working with women. She loved Alcoholics Anonymous. And she was graceful in that love. She was fluid in that love. And Gloria was worried about me, and she started talking to me, and she said, Candace, you have to leave this relationship. I said, I can't leave. This is my soulmate. She said, you are living drunk but talking sober. And I said, I can't leave. Now, I don't mind telling you, I thought she was jealous. <laughs> you know what I mean? I felt she didn't understand our passion. And, uh, <laughs> and at that time, Gloria was 29 years sober, her husband, Bob, was 29 years sober. He was sober three months longer than she was. They had been married 39 years. They knew each other seven years before that. They had been childhood sweethearts, both been married to other people. Those marriages dissolved. They had gotten married. They had had children, and they are low-bottom drunk, so their children had a front seat to the alley of alcoholism. It's one thing for me to want to trash my life, but when I start dragging children in it for a child to just not be safe, to not know where mom is, or to hope mom doesn't come home because it's so crazy, right? But as a direct result of the principles and traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous, their love had been healed. They had the type of love that they didn't need to post. I'm not hating, I'm just saying it's interesting when they go, it's complicated, meaning you're in denial, it's not. And so, so. It's complicated means I haven't gotten my way yet, but I'm actively trying to. And so, because uh, <laughs> love is a lot of things that ain't complicated. So, you can see all the resentments forming right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> not my problem. So anyway, I, um, I remember I was two years sober, and my first home group was the Bellflower Big Book group, very active group of Alcoholics Anonymous, who was my home group for the first 10 years. And I, if you're like me, I look at my sponsor. I look at everything she does because, especially at two, I'm still developing and forming my own identity and I want to emulate her. So if my sponsor held her head to the right, Candace held her head to the right. You talk to me and I'd be talking to you like this. And, uh, and so she and her husband were on the dance floor and she was gazing up at this man like a starry-eyed teenager. And he was looking down on her with the utmost tenderness. That's love. Love doesn't demean. It doesn't cause you to second guess every decision you make. It doesn't increase paranoia. It doesn't make you search through someone's things. Love, love renews. Love uplifts. It expands. It reaffirms. It soothes the spirit. And so this woman who had given me nothing but solid direction, when she gave me direction to leave a relationship that was taking my peace of mind, I chose to believe she was jealous. And what ended up happening is, you know, I started praying for a sign because I could no longer talk to her. She was clearly unreasonable. And I remember saying, Spirit, Spirit, give me a sign. Should I stay in the relationship? The police came. <laughs> and I was like, no, not that sign, right? <laughs> and so at that point, I did what anyone here would do. We got engaged. 
But we were engaged for six days, like in dog years. They were really long. And, uh, and when it was over, I was in so much pain, everything hurt. When I had to walk away, when I took that ring off my finger, I just wanted to die. I remember thinking, I'm never going to be in love again. And then, I don't know, miraculously, six days later, I was in another relationship. And so, small detail, they were already in one. It is tricky when that happens, yes. And so, you know, there's nothing more painful than to be with one person while you're in love with someone else. And the havoc and the hurt that I was creating. And I remember one night I just was so, so in the midst of spiritual decay that I looked over at my girlfriend and I asked her, I said, if I drink, will you leave? She said, no. I asked, if I drink, will you drink with me? And she said, yes. There's nothing she wouldn't have done to keep me in a relationship. The reality is this. You know, I know that people get upset because we forget that alcoholism is a disfiguring, distorting, and debilitating disease. It's not a disease of the considerate. If I'm thirsty and you're there, how rude of me to not offer you a drink. That's what I think. This is why I don't hang out with everyone in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was absolutely in active deterioration at that period of my sobriety. The reason my sobriety date has never changed, and I define sobriety as I don't take anything at any time that affects me from my neck up. I don't drink near beer because I'm not near sober. <laughs> I don't smoke marijuana with or without a doctor telling me I can. And I stabilize my mood with these steps. Those are personal decisions. And so it was a sober household. But when I got a hold of my sponsor the next morning, she said, Candace, you don't have the right to jeopardize someone else's sobriety. Stop quoting the book and start living by the principles. I ended that relationship. She drank a week later. She is still drinking. That's 13 years ago. And so what happened for me is I went back through the steps, the resentment, the fear, and the sex inventory. Resentment, person, place, thing, or principle that's pissing me off. Column two, why? When I'm in untreated alcoholism, I live in columns one and two. What they did, what they did, what they did, right? <laughs> but when I'm fighting for my life, I'm going to move into column three, and we write it longhand. How does it affect my self-esteem? How does it affect my ambition? How does it affect my personal relations? How does it affect my pocketbook? How does it affect my security? Written out, written out, because I need to see it. I don't check boxes. I don't just... Put one word because I can't get clear. My life is on the line. Column four, where was I selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and frightened? Let me give you an example. <laughs> I'm pissed off. Column one, at Tiffany. Column two, why? She keyed my car. Column three, what does it affect? My self-esteem, she didn't think much of me or she wouldn't have done it. My ambition, I thought we were like sisters. My personal relations, I thought we were friends, Right? My pocketbook, she doesn't want to pay for it. I have to pay for it. My sex relations, I don't feel sexy when my car is damaged. <laughs> Column four, I'm going to, in the interest of time, sum it up. Where was I selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and frightened? I slept with her partner. She found out and keyed my car. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> so I had to get down to causes and conditions, right? When I'm in low self-esteem, you think we're like sisters, but I don't feel I am lovable, so I'll take what you have. I went into the fear inventory, three columns in the fear. The fear, why do I have it, right? What's the fear, why do I have it? Column three, what would it look like in a healed state? Because it says clearly in the book, 
So we let God demonstrate through us who he would have us be. That means that this fear is going to be removed. The only thing I can pull from when I'm broken is old ideas. I have to ask myself, if it were healed, what does that look like? Get a visual. Start pulling from that information. Sex inventory. Where did I arouse? Jealousy, suspicion, bitterness, and doubt. It's what I do when I'm in low self-esteem. Whom did I hurt? Who else has suffered from my selfishness? Where was I inconsiderate when I said hello? The beauty of Alcoholics Anonymous is it never leaves me where I am. It always meets me where I am and it says, stand up, come with me. The next question is a game changer. What could I have done differently? I could say, no, thank you. I'm not disrespecting myself today. And then I list my ideals. The first thing on my ideals list is a woman I can pray with. If we can't pray together, we can't lay together. I didn't know that a woman who had done all the things that I had done, come to you like I came to you, got to request that. My friend Debbie D told me to wait 90 days. I didn't even, why would I wait 90 days? Let's see if we're compatible and then I can wait. No, let's see if we're spiritually compatible. I didn't understand that I didn't wait because I didn't feel worth waiting for. That says a lot about who I am. It's very different for me to run my mouth it's another thing to actively put some principles in my relationship. I kept treating myself like I was still homeless. I had to begin treating myself like I'm an investment. You will wait because I am worth waiting for. And you are stupid if you don't. You must work for this ride. This is not Jerry Maguire. You don't complete me. I'm already splendid, divine, and whole. So I need someone that can compliment the work I've done, it's a process. You know, I uh, loved drinking. I loved everything about drinking, everything about drinking. I'm not here because I hate alcohol. I'm here because of stuff like I was talking about the roommate I had when I was out there, when I was, you know, doing all my stuff at that point, and I took over my roommate's apartment after they kicked me out of mine because I had too much traffic. Some people are so picky. And, uh, and so um, I don't know if he had AIDS or HIV. I never uh, was intimate with him, but we got loaded together, and all the traffic followed me to his apartment. But he would get food delivered by Project Angel Food. And that's a huge organization in L.A. that delivers food to people with HIV and AIDS. And if he weren't home, I'd eat it because I was hungry. And so um, when I got sober, I had to make amends to him, and I was at the Pride Fest, and they had, um, look, I'm getting his time. I need about like three, four more minutes. Anyway, so um, they had, uh, Gay Pride had a sign-up booth for Project Angel Food, and so I signed up, and I signed my best friend up too. I said, that's what friends do. And so uh, <laughs> when I went to orientation, everyone was going around in a circle Asked, you know, telling why they were there, why they were volunteering, and it was like, my son has HIV, I was looking for a way to give back, my coworker was diagnosed with AIDS, and there were all these, and then they got to me, I said, I used to eat my roommate's food, because I was on drugs and alcohol, and then they just looked at me like I was a leper, you know what I mean? And so, the thing is, this is why I have to stay in Alcoholics Anonymous, this is the type of woman I become, but I'm so grateful that we have 12 steps that allow me, it's a restorative process, then I get to one, go to you when, when you are still present and in my life, look you in the eye and acknowledge what it is I've done and ask you how I can make it right. I don't ever put myself on the top of any list. 
That is why I have all these resentments. That's why I owe all these amends. I put myself before everyone I've ever come across. The book doesn't tell me to do it, so I don't do it. I make amends to you. That's how I make amends to me. This is the last thing I'm going to share. You know, I got pregnant when I was out there, and I was going to have an abortion. Because when I was little, men came in the house, and they were fond of children in a way that's never going to be okay. Because of who I had become, I couldn't guarantee that any child in my life would be safe, and I just didn't want to risk it. I made a decision to terminate that pregnancy at that time. I learned via every news station, t TV station, radio station, that a member of my family had been arrested for raping, torturing, murdering, and dismembering my eight-year-old girl cousin. And the person who did that is my mother. And so when that happened, I just remember thinking that my life was over. I remember thinking the way I lived then would be the way I would live forever. I remember thinking anything of beauty, value, and worth is no longer afforded to someone like me. So I went through that pregnancy as if I weren't pregnant. And when I gave birth to my daughter, after 17 hours of labor, I was so loaded. I had been up for three days. When I held her in my hand, she shook because she was detoxing. The shame of that, I have to do more than put a cute outfit on and some lipstick. I have to be in the middle of you even when I'm not with you. I have to carry Alcoholics Anonymous in my spirit to heal from that type of shame. And so what ended up happening is three days old in the hospital, they said she's not coming home with me, but I already knew that. Someone like me is not supposed to stay sober. I come from a line of hustlers. My dad was a pimp, for, I'm sorry, manager for many years, <laughs> and his brothers were too. And so when you have that, my mother has killed three children, prosecuted for one. When you have that, there's a lot of unlearning. I'm so grateful to the women in Alcoholics Anonymous that have come here that have taught me how to be a lady. I used to talk like a broad and wanted to be treated like a lady. I had to let that behavior go. I think the cutest thing that a woman can do is actually speak like a woman. And so my daughter, Serenity, has never been in my life, but I celebrate her every year. I started when she was six years, when I was six years sober. I recently found out that she was looking for me. She tried to, she reached out to post adoptions three years ago and I just found out because I happened to have called in, but they told me that they can't put us in contact because she hasn't signed the consent form, the one that I signed. And so I don't know what this means. I just know that she's looking for me. I've also registered with ancestry.com. I know that I'm ready. You guys have made me ready. I think my daughter and I are going to be reunited. I used to always talk about it, but now I really think it's a possibility. And so when she finds me, she'll find a woman of worth, of character, of dignity, of value. I can't have that without you. Thank you so much.